Professor Allen's Comics Reading Journal for the month of May 2020. Welcome to episode 60 of this podcast, meaning we have been at this for five years, which is amazing. And we'll talk more about exactly what that means for the episode very shortly. The concept are the shows that just have a brief chat about what comics I've read since the last time I did one of these episodes, which makes this pretty much the comics I read during May. These are listed weekly in blog posts at eyesandearsblog.blogspot.com, and I regularly repost those links on my Facebook and Twitter so you can find those. But don't worry, those posts are not spoilers for the podcast, because those are just lists. But here... We have a little more review, a little more critique, and a little more discussion. But first, actually, we're not going to have any feedback this episode. This is already going to be a long episode, as we are having some guests. And a few of them are pretty long-winded. Not naming names, I'm just saying. So next episode, we'll cover feedback from last episode and from this one. Now, I mentioned guests, and they will pop up throughout the episode to celebrate the five years of the show, and mostly to celebrate the hashtag comic book circle of life, and discuss the process of shrinking our comic collections when the mood strikes. Our guests are representative of people who've sent comics to the show over the years. My chance to thank them, and in a way, thank everyone who's contributed to the show whether that is by sending in comics, sending in feedback, and just listening to the show. That's really all I ask from you. Just listen. That's fine. And I do thank you all. Note that because of the jumping back and forth from like traditional episode discussion to a handful of guest conversations, that the sound quality in this episode, let's just say it varies. But let's get started. And the way we do that is to categorize the books that I read, but I'm not classifying things and organizing things the way that I normally do for an episode. For this fifth anniversary special, the focus is completely on the sources where I get comics from. So I'm going to range the episode 100% that way. One day in April, the Twitter feed Who is Paul mentioned that he had some comics that he was willing to give away, no cost, just the postage. This is Paul from Stop and Smell the Analog up there in Maine, and I jumped at it. And the way it all worked out, these ended up costing about an average of 40 cents. And from that bunch of comics, I read Amazing Spider-Man 520, 521, 523, and 524 from the JMS era, and as troubling as parts of the JMS era are for Spider-Man, I am committed to not saying bad things about him. He gave me the best TV show ever, Babylon 5. And because of that, JMS has a lifetime pass from me. I don't praise everything he does. I don't love it all, but I never rip it. I just can't find it in my heart to say anything bad about his work. 
So the most interesting thing about these books was that they were Spider-Man books in the same way that the movie Civil War was a Captain America movie. Because although we did tell this story from Spider-Man's POV, it's basically an adventure story. They're taking on Hydra, who've created their own versions of Thor and Cap and some others. Now, I exaggerate, of course. It's because the Spidey bits and the MJ bits, those are the strength of the issues. But these really are Spider-Man Avengers team-ups, at least. And they are solid, fun reads. And Spectacular Spider-Man, 208, 211, 226, 240, and 241, from the mid-90s range, which was an interesting era for the character, especially 240 and 241. These ones take place with a very pregnant MJ in the first issue, and then the couple mourning the loss of the baby in the next one. I found the art in these issues incredibly distracting, making it a little hard to read the books. But the stories, the emotions, the relationship, all of that was solid and enjoyable. And from the Todd McFarlane era, adjectiveless Spider-Man 14, 16, and 18, including the Sideways issue, number 16, which was a strange read. Uh, that was actually McFarlane's last issue of Spidey. And of these, 14 in particular, where Spidey is underground, dealing with Morbius and a little community that he's developed down there, you really see where Spawn came from. Like, it is all right there. And when Paul was putting that package together, he gave a you know, couple of options of books that he had just to fill up that fixed-rate postage box. And I was very excited to see his options. You know, a series that I was very excited when I heard of it, but hadn't ever seen any of the issues. So with high hopes, I read Rough Riders, Riders on the Storm 1 through 6, one of my all-time favorite U.S. presidents, Teddy Roosevelt, as the lead in a comic book series? Oh, I'm in. I'm all in. Actually, it's T.R. and Annie Oakley, Thomas Edison, heavyweight boxer Jack Johnson, and Houdini, among others. So it's another example of throw together a lots of famous historical people genre. But it's one of the pretty good examples of that. And don't worry, if you're wondering why Edison is on the team and not Tesla, let me just say that Edison is presented as, let's say, a complicated character. And their enemy in this series, which begins with the anarchists that kill President McKinley, uh, that's pretty good. And then the big bad revealed toward the end of issue five is an amazing reveal and a great, wild, crazy choice as a villain. A very enjoyable series. Uh, he also sent the next storyline, Rough Riders, Ride or Die, 1 through 4. We jump to 2006, so TR is the president at this point. And here, the team regathers to take on what seems to be an incursion from the demonic plane. And so they grab a new man to join them, a man with expertise in this area, a young writer named H.P. Lovecraft. Another fun series. The danger is that these are historical figures. But trust me, as a professional educator, do not use these books as primary sources for your history term papers. That 
would be a bad idea. Uh, some, someone who joined hashtag comic book circle of life last year and has sent in a couple of very nice care packages is Derek W. Crabb from the Fan Holes podcast. And among the things he sent included a black and white mystery comic from 1995 called Runaway. This was from something called Known Associates Press. And to be honest, it wasn't bad. I'm a sucker for mystery stories, PI stories. There are more of them in this episode. And this one wrapped up the whole story of the issue, which gives major good points for me in its favor when one issue can tell a beginning, middle, and actually an end. So big thumbs up to Runaway. He also sent Infinity Inc. 42, which I read because I read some earlier issues, which you'll hear about later in the episode because, you know, time travel. In this one, Fury is taking maternity leave, and they have a big party for her, and she gets into fights, and weirdly, she is kicked in the belly more than once. And that was awkward. He also sent in two indie books produced by Jerry Ordway and signed by De Ordster himself, The Messenger, 23, and Proton, number one. Interesting black-and-white combos of a story that Ordway had been working on ever since he was a kid. And the issues also had tons of pinups and recreations of sketches that Ordway has done over the years. And a classic DC Bronze Age fantasy book, Claw. The Unconquered, number one. Standard story setup, but a different kind of character. With this strange issue of his hand, where he needs the clawed glove to disguise a a disfigurement. And that's a different take in this type of story, because often the heroes are presented as being perfect. And only the villains have strange, deformed physical characteristics. And that little difference, as little as it is, is enough for me to make Claw the Unconquered stand out among the crowd of 70s fantasy comic books. Derek also sent a trade, uh, the first trade, of a 2008 Vertigo reboot of a classic DC war title, Unknown Soldier 1-6. through This is a different take on that concept, featuring an American doctor whose family fled Uganda when he was a child. Now an Ivy League-educated doctor, he returns to his native land to help heal the nightmarish civil war his home country has fallen into. And the pacifist doctor disappears. And at the same time, a fully bandaged, unstoppable killing machine launches a one-man war against those who have turned his homeland into a war zone. Coincidence? I think not. It's an interesting modern take on the concept, and I thought it was very well done. Good choice, Derek. And we have that big old fan hole on the line right now. That's as <laughs> hey, close as up? I get to cursing, Derek. So there you nice. go. Welcome to it. Relatively Geeky. It's, it's a pleasure to be here. This is awesome. Thank you for inviting me. Now, first things first, we need to start with the most important thing. And that's in your last comic book care package, you introduced me to a concept I would like you to explain and expand upon, $1 trades. 
I know how you said all the packages were either meticulously planned or just by wonderful cosmic accidental <laughs> happenstance. You know, they all kind of came as as we were going into the shelter mm-hmm. in place. And what's interesting about that is I, I was on my way to the last like public gathering I would have for like, you know, basically <laughs> until the current time we're right. talking. So I met a bunch of guys the Transformers California Collectors Club. And I know you're going, like, there's a Facebook group for guys that talk about boxes? What? Oh, but, there's yeah, a there Facebook is. group for everything I yeah, understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And occasionally they do, like, real live meetups. And so <laughs> I was on my way down to this group meetup, and I just thought, well, since I'm already making that trip, and it was in San Jose, I was like, well, what stores are on the way and everything like that? pre-shelter in place, my plan was throughout the course of the year, I was going to, you know, occasionally buy a dollar fifty cent comic or something, put it in a little box, and I thought, yeah, maybe in August I will send Alan a package <laughs> with with all these books that that I've read and enjoyed. And it mainly sprung from I saw you talking about the comics I sent you in the last care package, which mainly were sort of hand-me-downs from a, a care package I got. That is what the comic book circle those... of life is all about. So I was like, well, some of those represent me, but some of those are just kind of like, well, I, I, you know, again, you, you were just kind of like, hey, I've got some comics. Like, you want some comics? I've got them type thing. But I thought, <laughs> oh, this, this time I'm going to be a little more meticulous about what, what goes into that package. And so, I, you know, I had gone to a couple local shops here and there, you know, some of the, mm-hmm. the, the comics about boxes, you know, I was like thinking, oh, yeah, I'll put in, <laughs> that, that was my goal with that. I'll give you a taste of the, the, the IDW Transformers and things like that and see how it goes. And then I went to this store in Mountain View because it was on the way pretty much, or at least I, I could make a route that where, you know, I, I went there first. and then We I all understand how that, how that works. Yeah, yeah so it was like talk about the long ago days of, of pre-shelter in place, the, the comic store was in a shopping center that was the main attraction was a Costco. It took like, I want to say like 20 minutes to find a parking space, you know, like that's because it was a weekend and it was busy and all that kind of stuff. So I went, I went to Lee's Comics and it, it's a nice little shop, but like way, way, way in the back is where they had all their discounted books. And there's like a, a Thor's hammer that's like smashed into the wall and stuff like that. All the way to the right, most of those were 50 cent books. And then I think mm-hmm. all the way to the left, most of those were dollar books. And it was a variety. I mean, a lot of it was overstock of fairly recent four to five dollar books that didn't sell for four to five dollars. And, and then I, I kind of noticed, you know, one of those pine kind of shelving boxes that has like some trades. And I'm thinking, oh, yeah, this is going to be like half price books or something, you know, maybe ten dollars, maybe five dollars or whatever. And, and the first thing I noticed, which w- wasn't included in your package, but I, what I noticed is a lot of those black label books, the, the mm, more recent right. DC black label mm-hmm. books, which some of them I've read and have enjoyed, I noticed some of them were a dollar. And I was just like, ooh, a dollar. And then I made the same mistake I always make with those because they have like alternate covers. So I think I was under the oh, impression no. I was buying Superman year two, number two. And number three, but I think what I actually did was I just bought two copies of number three because yeah. they had like different covers <laughs> or whatever. But those were some of the things I grabbed. And as I'm looking through the trades, I'm all, man, these are all a dollar. And I'm thinking like, well, that's like over four issues. I'm like, that's less than 25 cents. I'm like, I must, yes. I was like, yes. I was like, I must, I must get these for Professor Allen immediately. <laughs> 
And, you know, because I, I wasn't going to buy that much stuff for myself. I was looking, you know, maybe to see if there was something I could stick on ye old spinner rack. And, and I also thought back then that I was going to have more opportunities to go to comic stores. Ah, right, that's and, right. <laughs> and that maybe I was going to buy like one or two comics for the Professor Allen box and that was going to do it. But when I saw all those trades, I was kind of like, wow, well, what's in here? You know, and I kind of went through and I was, again, thinking with the mandate, what books am I seeing that I would enjoy? I mean, and I think the first thing I noticed was they had a bunch of irredeemable yeah. stuff, you know, all the Mark Wade stuff, the incorruptible. And I was just kind of like, wow, like I remember, you know, that was something I read kind of in real time at the time. We we talked about it on Fan Halls way back when we didn't have like a comic specific show and everything just went into the conglomeration, <laughs> the Frankenstein nature of the, the original podcast where we just talked about whatever we felt like. The only thing I was disappointed about was I'm like, oh, it only starts with volume two. But I was like, volume two, volume three, volume, I was like, it's almost the whole yeah, story. That, you know, that so was I was like, great. yeah, so I was like, I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. So I sort of set those aside that, and one of the other ones I noticed was the Wrath of the Eternal Warrior. And you know, what's funny is even though, you know, we, we did a show with your and my best pal, Luke Giaconetti <laughs> on, on the Valiant. And, you know, one of the main characters in it, other than Bloodshot is the Eternal Warrior, but I was not wholly familiar <laughs> right. with, with this updated Valiant Entertainment version of a character. And, and I hadn't actually read those books at the time, but I'm like, you know, man, Luke, Luke spoke really highly of them. And, and I kind of know from all the Earth Destruction Directive guest appearances, you know, I know, I know you and Luke are buddies and, and you would trust Luke's opinion as well. And I, I remember always, as you like to say, he's a cheerleader for Valiant. So I'm kind of like, you know what? These are a dollar. Like, I'm, I'm going to throw these in there too. As soon as I, I got that, that whole last care package and all those trades were in there, it was sort of, do I start with the Irredeemables? Do I start with the Unknown Soldier? Do I start with this Valiant mm -hmm. one? So I, I did shoot a quick message off to Luke. I said, you know, I know you're a fan, but even with that, how good are these Wrath of the Eternal Warrior? And he basically said, eh, they're the best Eternal Warrior stories ever. Those were and really, I read them, really man, good. they were good. Man, yeah. they were good. I mean, I'm glad they're not still you know, lounging in the pile somewhere waiting to be read. Mm. Those mm. were excellent. What, what is it? Some can be a bargain and some can be a steal. Those, exactly. those were a steal, those were right? A steal. Like, def <laughs> definitely a steal, right? Yeah, for sure. The Unknown Soldier trade uh, was from a place you mentioned that I guess about half the country has access to, and that is mm, half yeah. price books. How much business do you do with them like for a while i i did a lot of business with them in both directions i feel like but you you talked about people calling collections and different things like that i was one of those guys you had to bring roll out the little gray cart the plastic <laughs> cart to stick all the stuff on where they're ringing it up and then you have to like you know browse amongst the store for like a half an hour before they tell you right. oh there's right. 40 pound shelf of books that will give you seven dollars and eight cents in store credit you're like oh <laughs> wonderful you know like whatever I occasionally would go there and, you know, check out whether they had trades or, or comics or, you know, sometimes they have toys and, and Blu-rays and, and books and, and things like that. The last time I had gone there, they had, I think, 25 cent copies of Justice League Dark, which I remembered you were reading. And I was just <laughs> right. like, oh, that, that's too bad. I like that they're 25 cents now. Hey, um, right. and, and, and But I just thought, oh, maybe I'll go back. And my thought was, oh, maybe I'll run into something fit my mandate like that was 25 cents where it's like oh i like this book and i could i read it and enjoyed it and i could just throw it in that that box that was going to go out to you in august or something you know like that box 
that's already been sent <laughs> but you know like like but but at the time that was the that was the the mentality and everything and then i stumbled upon it where i was like oh this is the first trade of the unknown soldier and i'm like that's a damn good book so like okay cool i'll, I'll definitely get that you know that like, was and, intense and that, along. that was yeah. definitely intense that's one of those things like it's not fun and and it's not really finding your joy, but it's <laughs> exceptionally done, meticulously exactly. researched. It's got a very visceral, emotional yeah, charge. It's gripping. Read, it's gripping, you know, yeah. So so I mean, I can't. You know, th- that's one of those books I think I'd lump in with things that I I really enjoyed, like the Tom King, Mitch Jared, Mister Miracle. You know, right. like there there oh, were sure. there were there were certain runs of books where I was just like, man, this is this is really great. And I was I was looking at that. I'm like, damn, that came out in 2008. I'm like, I'm like, oh man, that's like that's like 12 years old. But I'm like, it's still new to me. Like, like in, in the grand scheme of things, it's still still a relatively new. Comic of course, book these days we have to somehow. say that's like five reboots ago. <laughs> that's the problem. Yes, yes. This is a good dovetail into my point because because one thing I'm famous for saying is the uh, new 52 Batwing comic is the the McDonald's light version of the Unknown Soldier, and I do not recommend it. <laughs> That was one of my indications of, wait, I had to give up Vertigo and the Unknown Soldier that I was reading for this. The last thing I wanted to ask you about was these two Jerry Ordway signed books. That was at the Baltimore Comic Con in 2018. So that was the big event meetup, at least for me, of that year. Right. You know, So there were, there were a number of our podcast buddies and friends that attended and one of the the many guests that was there was Jerry Ordway. To, to be perfectly honest, I mean, it, he he was definitely promoting and pimping the two books, the the Proton and the Messenger. The, these were his original stories. My understanding about Proton is that could have been what he did for Image Comics. Like it was it, somehow it was between right. that and Wildstar. There were five bucks a piece, and since he just kept mentioning them i felt bad you know so i was just like look because because again he wasn't charging for signatures or anything like that and i think i think my standard approach to that is if people are not charging but they have a hero initiative donation thing or and and to me those two books were his hero initiative like that's how that's (laughs) how i viewed that and i was just like okay well you know give me the two books and i think when i was putting together that first package i probably flipped through those books like once like when i got them or whatever and i know to be honest i don't remember too much about either of the stories and i just kind of <laughs> you know what though these these are nice nicely produced books so I was someone's like, you know gonna what? like these it, i think it was like i had just a little bit of space left in that that flat rate box and i was like what else can i put in here and i was like <laughs> oh look at these okay the baltimore con itself i have a lot of nice yeah, memories good. of that good stuff uh great to talk to you derek It was a pleasure to be here. Thank you again for inviting me. Certainly appreciate your contributions to the show and your participation in the comic book circle of life. Great to have you on the team. Yay. (laughs) And from a good friend from the Northeast, Dr. Ange. I read the prestige format one-shot Excalibur, Mojo Mayhem. And mayhem is the exact best word to describe this. This is Goofy Fun featuring the X-Babies. And when I first saw that, I will be honest and say that I was not excited because that's a pretty silly concept. But the creatives on this, and it's a pretty strong team, Claremont, Art Adams, Terry Austin, they knew 
that this was very silly and did not shy away from that. One great bit reflects this, and that's when the team stumbles onto a weird building that's called the House of Ideas. That alone is a pretty good reference. But written on the building itself are words like Secret Wars, Atlantis Attacks, and New Universe. But also, Invasion, and Crisis. And then inside the building, the little structure upon which this whole edifice rests is a teeny place called the house that Jack and Stan built. Very nice. And also sent both Outsiders Zero and one of his favorites, Amethyst Number 1, from the original 1983 Maxi series. I like the concept of Amethyst. It's a pretty standard and oft-told fantasy concept. A young adult learning that they're part of a greater world, a fantastical world. And I don't mean that to criticize. I really don't. It's a great fantasy formula because it works. And it's popular. And it draws in that YA audience and those of us who might be just a little older than that. So whatever your station, whatever your situation, there are times we'd like to disappear into another world. Another world where we're a secret princess or a hero or some other VIP. And in mainstream comics, Amethyst is one of the characters that tells that story the most consistently. And from Half Price Books, I picked up Adventure Comics 526 featuring Legion Academy from 2011. I think I've said this before, but I missed out on a lot of DC books in that time frame right before the New 52. So despite liking the Legion and having a soft spot for Adventure Comics from back in the day, I didn't pick this one up back then, but I really enjoyed it. Legion Academy is a concept that deserves more attention. And from the 50-cent boxes at Pulp Reality, I read 75% of an indie miniseries from the 1980s that I had never heard of before. Phase 1 Phasers 1 through 3. This was from AC, Americomics, and was a team book in the style of the Legion with a healthy dose of X-Men and Teen Titans thrown in, which makes sense because 1988. It was surprisingly strong, but the most interesting part was the editorial in issue 3, where the editor, Bill Black, wrote about the distribution and financial issues that the series and the publisher uh, was having. And all select comics number one, a celebration of Marvel's 70th birthday back in 2019, this extra-sized issue had a new story featuring the Golden Age character Blonde Phantom, a standard noir-era tough dame, and that had a new short story featuring Marvex the Super Robot, while also reprinting two stories from 1940, starring that character. Fun book, actually. Very glad I stumbled across it. And Atlas, number five, which wraps up this series that I'd started very recently, and to be honest... I liked the first four issues a lot more. Superman, 181, which tells us two romantic stories. In one, Lois almost marries a deformed king of a strange country. And in one, Jimmy marries Supergirl, and they live happily ever after, except that that was one of those dreaded DC staples, the imaginary story. Oh, they got me. And I read a book 
with a very long title, but a very simple premise. Masterworks series of great comic book artists, Frank Frazetta, number one. This was from DC, and Frazetta certainly didn't do a lot of work for the company, but he did do some Shining Night stories, and this issue reprints five of them. Very interesting, very entertaining, and it goes without saying, very pretty to look at. And from longtime supporter of the network and provider of books to the show, Clinton from Coffee and Comics, I read Avengers Volume 2, Number 7, from 1997. And this was a complete, like, total 90s book, right down to the plot credit to Rob Liefeld. The story features Loki, and he calls on the Enchantress for aid. She's not in the book very much, just enough to put her in all her hip and boob glory on the cover, because 90s. And Marvel Comics presents number 22, featuring stories with Cyclops, Black Panther, Wolfsbane, and Mirage, and Star Fox. Maybe in 1999, these were all top-of-the-line exciting properties. But here in 2020, I have to say that none of these really psyched me up all that much, although the Star Fox story was surprisingly solid. Maybe it helped that it was the last installment of that story, and so actually came to a conclusion in this issue. And New Age Comics, a preview book from 1985, prepared by a range of small and indie publishers, such as Vortex, Warp, Fanagraphics, Renegade, Mirage, and another half dozen or so. Not really a comic book per se, but an interesting time capsule of comics, right smack dab in the middle of the 1980s. And here we are, joined by Mr. Coffee and Comics himself, one of the earliest providers of comics to the show. It's Clinton Robinson. Hey, how you doing? How's life out there in whatever it is, Iowa, Kansas, Oklahoma? It's one of those flat states, right? Yeah, sure, we'll go with that. <laughs> As we established in the pre-show, you are a geography expert. <laughs> yes. <laughs> now, uh... First things first, do you have any particular recollections of these three nutty issues that I covered in this episode? <laughs> if you've ever looked at the cover of Avenger 7, you remember it. I'm just saying. Yes, that. <laughs> I mean, my theory is that this is a story starring Loki, and they have one scene where he calls on enchantress just so they could put her on the cover ah well you know this is the point where um the heroes are returning and everybody is saying yay we got image artists back to do books and they're going to be good well they were half right that avengers issue does have the two magic words on the cover rob and liefeld so no wonder you wanted to get them out of your collection. Well, you know, it was either send it to you or send it to Quentin Tarantino. And since he has an appreciation for fees. Uh, you know. <laughs> now, let me ask you this. Are you currently 
in the you know phase of your comics collecting where you're buying new comics or adding to your collection or are you sort of in maintenance mode or or, or are you in comics getting rid of mode i am in all three because i will always always find new to me comics even if they're not Mm -hmm. new on the shelf yes i am always in that maintenance mode because i really need to organize and file things away Mm -hmm. but most of the time it becomes a non-standard filing order as in this is a book i want to podcast about this is a book that I haven't read and need to read. This is a book that I have read and want to reread. Not not so much, you know, this is the Superman long box. This is the Thor long box. More of this is the, I need to put it away so my wife doesn't tell me I have comics all over the house again, long box. (laughs) And as far as, you know, giving them away, eh, I figure other people deserve to read it such wonderful little ditties <laughs> as little jinx hey now i can't keep oh, that all to stop, myself stop with the little jinx sorry lil stop with the lil jinx <laughs> if i hated you i would send you i don't <laughs> twice oh adventures number seven <laughs> hey, <Wait. laughs> hey i liked you so i sent you uh avenger seven and little jinx if i didn't like you i would have sent you three copies of each i know i know you know, I think one of the uh, I think one of the real you know missions of this of this show has been to save many people's marriages by giving <laughs> you and Kirk and Rob and Joe Derek places to send the comics to ways of getting them out of the house and that you know let me just say you're welcome. We, we joke, but actually my wife is very supportive of my comic habit. And believe it or not, she was respon- semi-responsible for the uh, New Age issue that I sent you. Very nice. Nice. She pointed me in the right direction anyway. <laughs> yeah, this store's closing, and they're selling all their old comics for like 50 cents. Take some. Go to Take the- some. Yeah, she was just like, there's a box of comics here. They're 50 cents. Okay. See? And? She (laughs) all right. She all right. (laughs) And and then when it gets to comics that you're interested in in getting rid of, or you think maybe you have a few too many, is there a a process? Is there a a, a, a way that you decide what goes where and and, and how you get rid of them? Because the recycling bin is always an option, I found. Uh, some of them I try to like tailor to people's interest, such as you know if there's a certain comic featuring a certain little girl that gets into certain types of mischief, certain jinxy sort of. <sighs> yeah, th- th- those go to Ohio, <laughs> but. Other times it's if 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 it's something that I know somebody's gonna like, then yeah, I'll try and send it their way. But other times it's I honestly will go through and just look at some comics, things that I might have duplicates of, or things that I think people might like, or things that I just 
have decided that no longer need to be in my collection. And I go down the list of who I have sent stuff to and who I haven't sent stuff to and kind of parcel it out. The nice thing about the comic book circle of life is that when something comes into your house, it doesn't have to stay. (laughs) There's always the opportunity to send stuff to Iowa's Joe. Remember that. There's always... (laughs) Send it to Joe. He'll read it. He'll read anything. No, I'm pretty sure that's what people say about me, so I probably shouldn't. I probably shouldn't mock. I sent Joe something one time, and I don't even remember for sure what it was, and he just seemed so happy, and it was just kind of like, I'm not sure what was so grand, but you're very welcome. <laughs> now, I've never been called out about this, but it has probably happened, though to the best of my knowledge, so far in all these years... I have not sent someone a comic that they sent me already. <laughs> I, have, I, I have not returned to sender. I did get one from either you or the Sutherlands one time that I had just sent out like the week before to somebody <laughs> else. So that was kind of funny. I was like, wow, this is the fruitcake of comics. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, Clinton, we appreciate you being a longtime supporter of the show and of the hashtag comic book circle of life. You are one of the good ones. So that means I can unload this five-pound box of Turok number one. <laughs> In these days, anything we can do to help the post office is good. So send them on down. <laughs> C-O-D. Clinton, thank you. Any time. And now I'll move to issues I nabbed from my LCS, World's Greatest Comics. These could be books from back when they were quarter bins, or from their dollar bins. And even though some of them are from dollar bins, understand, they may well be from a three for a dollar sale, or even a ten cent each sale. And some came from recent mail-order purchases I made in these days of isolation, where I just told the owner to grab a certain number and toss them in a box. And these all included a nice range of Bronze Age JLA books, Justice League of America 119, 178, and 205. My favorite one was 178. It's a Jerry Conway story with John Johns as the lead going up against Despero in a story calling him the evil chess master of Mars, which sounds like a villain that John Carter once went up against in the original Edgar Rice Burroughs novels. Die, Kitty, Die, Heaven and Hell, Zero and One, which is a crazy story that pokes fun at the comic book industry in a pretty merciless way, and that is the strength of the Die, Kitty, Die brand. When they get bogged down in their own continuity and storytelling, they kind of lose that edge. But the concept is so good that I read anything in this world anytime I see it. And more often than not, like these ones, I really enjoy most of it. And also, Astro Boy number 4 from Now Comics from 1987. A little too manga anime for me. Didn't totally get it. Captain America 317, a team-up between Cap and Hawkeye. And they're going up against the ringleader and his team of themed villains goes pretty well until the last page 
when Steve learns that his girlfriend Bernie has moved away. Hashtag sad. Superman 347 and 348, solid Bronze Age DC goodness, and sometimes that's all I really need. Marvel Team-Up, 73, 75, and Annual 6. And these ones, we get team-ups with Luke Cage, Daredevil, Cloak and Dagger, and the New Mutants. I like Cloak and Dagger. I, I, I enjoyed that annual, but the best of these by far was issue 75 with Power Man. That one starts out as a battle of our two heroes against an arson gang. But it ends up really being a, a nice tribute to the heroes who make up the fire department of New York. It's a nice standalone, done-in-one story. And Infinity Inc. 2 through 4. I was a fan of All-Star Squadron, but I did not jump over to Infinity Inc. right away. Back then, I never really, like I said, I never really got into this. It was I was just getting to college around this time and discovering independent sci-fi books, and I must have taken the opportunity of this title starting up as a jumping-off point. But unlike, say, the Omega Men, I've always been interested in Infinity Inc., or at least intrigued by them, so I'm glad I got the chance to read these ones here at the start of the title. And I'd say it got off to a pretty good start. And A-Force 1 and 2 from 2016, Captain Marvel, She-Hulk, Medusa, these were my main draws to the title, but also Nico from The Runaways to some extent. The series spins out of Battleworld, where the character Singularity was part of an all-female team. But here in the post-Battleworld world, she's the only one who remembers that they were all once teammates. So when she tries to gather the ladies up again... None of them know who she is and what the heck she's doing. It's a good setup for a series, and if I run across more issues of this, I would not turn them away. Future Quest, number three from 2016. Warner Brothers, as a corporation, is not known for integrating its product lines very well. Every product tends to live in its own silo. But there was that brief moment a few years ago when DC and Hanna-Barbera got together for those special one-offs, and also these HB series like Future Quest or the Scooby-Doo's or the Flintstones. It was a good era, and this was a solid issue. And I do have hopes that under new leadership, under new corporate reorganization and ownership, it actually seems like Warner Brothers might be slowly taking baby steps out of that long-time corporate culture. And I think the odds are that that could only be a good thing. And the cross-gen primer, this was one of the books that uh, Keith blind grabbed out of the dollar bids for me when I did a, a PayPal slash curbside order during the, uh, the stay-at-home situation. And in this, I learned about the magical sigils that connected the books in the cross-gen universe such as Mystic, Sigil, Scion, and Meridian, which was good as a primer, because Keith also put in that grab bag Mystic, 14 through 18, which follows the story of Giselle, a bearer of the Sigil. Uh, this series ran 43 issues. I did not realize how long the titles of CrossGen ran. Uh, from what I could tell, they lasted about four years, and put out more than 600 issues during that time, which is not bad. Both of those metrics 
Not bad for a small press operation. And uh, this story itself wasn't bad. Mythology and fantasy and magic all woven together. Not altogether unusual by any means, but definitely an interesting take. Uh, Most of this was written by Ron Mars, a solid professional writer. And the art, which had moments of borderline cheesecake, more often than not, stayed on the right side of that line to my tastes and was not nearly as extremely 90s-tastic as I had feared. Again, it stayed, for me, just on that right side. Wasn't sure what to expect from the title, and who knows, maybe low expectations helped. But I thought it was pretty good. And from Billy D. From Magazines and Monsters and Into the Weird, in preparation for Quarterbin 153, I read the Thor Annual number 6 from the mid-70s. And from Sir Luke of the Upstate, Luke Giaconetti. I read Wolfpack number 3 from the 12-issue Mini from 1988. It's a pretty gritty issue, actually. We have an ongoing story of gang warfare and a subplot involving a kid who's been beaten up by his dad. And the neighbors are hesitant to, to take him in to care for him. And the authorities can't do much without a formal complaint. There were elements continuity-wise that you know I didn't get. But I was surprised that this was tackling a real issue and actually doing it uh, pretty well. Luke also sent Secret Wars 2, number 6, which had the downside of being an issue of Secret Wars 2, but had the upside of including all the major supernatural beings in the Marvel Universe. And the Beyonder even tries to explain the relationship between Eternity and the Watchers and Chaos and Order, the Living Tribunal, Mephisto, and the Inbetweener. And as far as it went, it almost made sense. At least I liked the effort. And Fantastic Four 585 and FF number one, both from 2011, both signed by artist Steve Epting. This was a transitional time for the team, with Sue spending some quality time with Namor. But the best part, of course, was the last page of FF1, when Uncle Doom is brought into the team. And we are joined now by Sir Luke of the Upstate himself. It's Luke Giaconetti. Welcome. Thank you for having me, Professor. Always uh, always a pleasure to be here on the Relatively Geeky Podcast yes. Network. <laughs> you, of course, as everyone knows, were the first guest ever. I was in here so early, I was on a promo. <laughs> That's, that is true. <laughs> so, uh, you know, for this, I mean, first things first, explain the connection between us sending comic books to each other and our sporting rivalries. Yeah, it's kind of odd territory for comic book fans to uh, <laughs> to also care that deeply and not uh, about sports and not simply just make uh, dismissive comments towards it. When we Look, first we are, uh, started we interacting, big... it was only the cuff remark you made about Arsenal. I said he's a soccer fan. I didn't know that you know anything else. But I said, oh, you know. So I, I kind of started reaching out a little bit about about soccer because I had been. Something of, I say something of, not not an ultra by any stretch supporter of West Ham United. My origin with West Ham United is about as stupid as they come. I was a West Ham <laughs> fan because West Ham is Iron Maiden's club. 
because two of the founders of Iron Maiden are from East London, and so they were West Ham supporters. So that was the team I started supporting in the in the late '90s. And then here I come, this guy Arsenal supporter, and it's like, well, I'm not going to let that slide. Another <laughs> London club, we can't have that. So, so, so we started talking about about soccer, and then that's where it says like, oh, that you know, you used to be into racing and that you like football and other sports and so that's where it came up so that's how it that's how it started it hit its zenith uh, yeah bowl season this last year you've done your march madness tournament mm-hmm. that's true for, that's for right. various podcasters which i think my brother won one year didn't he yeah i can't believe that happened i'm not sure how that happened yeah <laughs> yeah though with the guy that doesn't read comics you got to find some comics <laughs> to him. but yes you know you repping Ohio. You thankfully don't work at Ohio State. You've got some type of human decency left in you. you um, but repping... I don't... live in the shadow of the Buckeyes. <laughs> and uh, myself uh, and my wife, actually, both being alums of Clemson University here in uh, South Carolina. When the Buckeyes and the Tigers met, well, you know, we had to lay the monkey down, and as we man, say. By the middle of the second quarter, you were going to owe me so many comics. I don't know what that was. See, the, the thing is, is the, t- the time we had played before that was the uh, 44 to nothing drubbing. And so you say, oh, well, you want to make a bet on this and whosoever team loses, whatever the margin of victory is, that's so many comics they have to send. I'm like, wow, do I want Alan to send me 40 <laughs> comics again? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah, hell yeah, I've been there. <laughs> Needless to say, it was not quite that game this time with the Tigers and the Buckeyes. But, uh, and fortunately, but, uh, you showed me some mercy and uh, <laughs> and let me uh, trick you into an Arsenal-West Ham rematch. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm an engineer. I was looking at the numbers, right? <laughs> it's like, okay, West Ham more than likely is going to lose this game. There's no question about but that. But probably not 44 but, nothing. <laughs> right. It's like, what's the worst it's going to be? 3 nothing. <laughs> Easy money. I could send a few comics to Professor's Way, but it worked out. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Now, um, one of the things that, that you sent me, I do have to have to question this, because, you know, look, we've recorded a lot together. We've met in real life. Mm-hmm. I, I thought we were friends. And yet you send me an issue of Secret Wars 2? <laughs> what? Well, you ever seen the movie The Ring? You know where you got to keep passing the thing along. No, I'm, I'm maybe not quite to that level, but I can't take full responsibility. Mark Kallenbach sent that to me, so ah, so getting so it out of your hands as quickly as possible. Yes, the, the comic book circle of life, what it giveth, it sometimes taketh away as well. So, well, I guess uh, I guess spoilers to everyone listening. You may have it soon too, whoever, whoever you are. <laughs> But you made up for it with a couple mm. of Fantastic Four, well, technically a Fantastic Four and an FF issue, both signed by the artist Steve Epting. How did that happen? Now, that that was a strange one. Here in um, Greenville County in South Carolina, my LCS of choice is Borderlands Comics and Games, who's been around for a long time, and that right around the Super Bowl... They have what they always call their creatively named big annual sale. At the creatively named big annual sale, traditionally, all of the dollar books were now three for a dollar. Now, in the last couple of years, they've taken it right here in relatively geeky wheelhouse and made them all a quarter. Yes. The dollar book. Yes. So 
I want to say that these were actually pulled out of at that big annual sale. I, I normally wouldn't really get Fantastic Four, but as I was flipping through these, it was a EFF issue because it has a, a, a white cover mm-hmm. with Ben Grimm on it. And because of that bright white cover, it's it really stood out as I was flipping through. And it was relatively near the front of a box because, you know, you're flipping through a long right. box, you get to the middle and you can only see so much of the title anymore. <laughs> this was near the front. And so I could see almost the entire cover. And I thought the cover was really neat. You know, I'm a Marvel fan from from when I was a kid. I think every Marvel fan has some soft spot for the ever-loving blue-eyed thing. Mm-hmm. In many ways, the most Marvel character ever. With that cover, I saw the black signature. And I'm like, what? And so I, I pulled it out, and it wasn't bagged or boarded. So I just flipped through it. I said, is this Steve Epting? And it's like, sure enough, it was. <laughs> and then right behind it was the Fantastic Four issue, also signed by Steve Epting. And I'm like, What? And so I, I just kept, those were the only, only ones I found. That's great I finds. I love it. Love yeah. it. I've pulled a few other autographed books mm-hmm. out of cheapy bins, but never somebody as, as modern and well-known as Steve Epting. So it, it, I said, this will be something, because first of all, pulling them out of a quarter bin, I said, <laughs> this is perfect for the, for the professor. I said, also the fact that they're FF books, and that'll troll them a little bit. They're fantastic <laughs> perfect. books. Perfect. So, yeah, these got to go to the professor. <laughs> and uh, this is a, a, a warning to listeners as well. You ain't getting these ones. <laughs> well, well, if you get these ones, then you know my wife has taken control of the, <laughs> of <Yeah>. the process. <laughs> Do you readily dispose of, of, of any books in your comic, in your collection? Is there a process of that or what? You know, it, it's odd. Over the last decade or so, a handful of times, probably at least four or five times, I've done a, a cull. And when I say a cull, I picture King Cull with his axe, you know, <laughs> smashing the uh, the tablets of law and saying, by this axe I rule. So, I yeah, I regularly kind of go through and start pulling pulling out stuff that, that needs to go and all that. And uh, now a lot of times if they're modern stuff and I don't know anyone that I think would like them, they get traded in at one of my local oh, used bookstores right, for trade credit. Right. A lot of the kids' books I keep now because I've got a short box sitting right. next to me that's just kids' comics for my kids to read. But a lot of the older all-ages books and such, I ended up donating to the Children's Hospital here in Greenville oh, County. I think either two or three big printer paper boxes full of Bronze Age or all ages, kids comics, that kind of stuff. And I brought them and just donated them to the the children's hospital because many years ago, my my oldest boy ended up getting admitted to the children's hospital, not for anything serious. He had a, a respiratory infection and his pediatrician said, we will, we just want to keep him overnight because of the oxygenation of his blood. We want to make sure that he doesn't, you know, drop off in the middle of the night at the house or whatever. So, so he and my wife spent two days at the children's hospital. And so I got to spend some time there and see some of the kids that were there kind of long-term. My son at the time, he was a little guy. He was, I mean, he was like one. So, but there were, there were obviously kids of varying ages. I remember thinking, man, if I was stuck in here and I had all this scary stuff going on and I was a kid, I'd want some comic books. And this was right. This, this was uh, like 2010, Marvel was really starting to hit it big. I called their office and I said, look, I, I want to make a donation, but I want to make a, a donation of comics. And so we arranged it with their 
mm-hmm. uh, their community outreach officer, and and we and we got it done. And they they sent me pictures and all this stuff of the kids reading the comics, oh, and it's great. like that's just that was great because it was a way not only for me to give back, but also to give back locally, which I'm I'm big right. on you Good. know thinking locally. That's great. You know, if you don't want to donate to the quarter bend. Uh, podcast fund <laughs> you can you can dispose of your comics in in ways that you're not just you're not just dumping them out or or you know uh leaving them wherever i used to uh before i had kids for any, any of the kids comics free comic book day i'd leave them in the break room at all at my office mm-hmm. with a sign that said hey kids comics you know so <laughs> i found that the waiting rooms of doctor's offices are good places too they usually have a space yeah. there with magazines and You've thrown a few comics in there. One of the current comics I read is Uncle Scrooge from IDW. And that is a reprint title, but it only reprints European Scrooge comics that have never been printed in English. So when I get my mail order comics each month, there's an issue of Uncle Scrooge in it. And my kids are like, Dad, have you read that new Uncle Scrooge yet? Because I say I have to read it before they read it. That's the only rule I have. Have you read the new Uncle Scrooge yet? Have you read the new Uncle Scrooge yet? It's like, okay, I'll read it tonight. Okay, you can read. You know? <laughs> oh, that's great. That's great. So another generation of, of Duck Comic fans. <laughs> I, like, I like to think of them as teaching proper uh, financial management techniques. But, yeah. Uh, <laughs> awesome. Luke, it is always good to chat with you. And I appreciate your contributions to the show and to the comic book circle of life. It's nice to be part of a, a community of, of like-minded individuals who try to put a positive positive energy out in the world. There's so much negativity. I talk about this on Earth Destruction Directive all the time. There's so much negativity out there in fan circles, whether it's comics or giant monsters or whatever. I try to put a little bit of positivity out there and fun. You know, we do this for fun. You know, meeting you and M at Heroes Con a few years back, along with uh, your reigning listeners of the year, the Sutherlands, <laughs> was was just a great a great experience. And and uh, Mrs. Quarterbin Val was uh, you know that, that just great. And so it's, it's wonderful to um, you know meet folks from different walks of life and different life experiences that have similar interests, and we can talk about the things that we have in common rather than argue mm-hmm. about the things that we have different. Well, and that is why we stole from you. With attribution, occasionally. <laughs> One of our closing tags for this show and darkness to light, and that is that, as you say, all are welcome. Absolutely. And from the Digital Comics Museum, home of free public domain comics, I read Sam Hill, P.I., number 7, from 1951, which I will be covering on an upcoming episode of the Quarterbin Podcast. And spoilers, I'll be covering that issue with Luke. And from the DC Universe app, which I love, to follow along with Nightcast 27 and the Overlooked Dark Knight Special podcast crossover event, I read Batman 234 and 251, which were a couple of really good issues. The Return of Two-Face and the classic Joker's Five-Way Revenge. Excellent stories, and pretty good podcast episodes, too. And to follow along with Laurel and the crew at the Hunters Podcast, for their episode 32, I read All-Star Comics 74, where the JSA takes on the Master Summoner. And to listen with Mike Peacock's temporary return to podcasting for J.L. May-related books, 
I wrote it Justice League of America 166 to 168. And to follow up with Quarterbin 152, I read the rest of that Power Girl reboot, JSA Classified 2 to 4, and I liked that series enough that I jumped back in time 30 years to Power Girl's breakthrough miniseries, Showcase 97 to 99. It was fun to see the character's original origin story, and then to compare it to what Jeff Johns did three decades later and wiping out some of the craziness that had happened since that original origin, and to bring Power Girl back mostly to that original story with a little bit of help from the Psycho Pirate. So good stuff, and despite all the rumors that this might not be the case, I certainly hope that the DCU app uh, continues as a standalone entity. All right, time to take a break here, and when we come back, we'll talk about more of the comics I read during May. Hey folks, this is Jared Albrecht, a.k.a. The Yard Sale Artist and semi-regular co-host of the Longbox Crusade podcast with Pat Sampson. Pat came to me recently with a fantastic idea on how we might get the podcast community involved in taking some action to do some good. He called this idea Comics for Courage. Comics for Courage is a concept that came to Pat after I told him the fantastic true story of when I was stationed in Iraq during my military service. While there, I received a huge care package of comic books from the awesome folks over at Wizard and Toy Fair magazines. We had so many comics, we didn't know what to do with them all. Seriously, it was over 100 pounds of comics. So me and a couple of buddies took the bounty of comics we had down to the give-and-take library we'd set up in our headquarters building. And you know what? Within 24 hours, all the comics were gone. The bottom line here is that throughout history, World War II, Korea, Vietnam, Iraq, one thing remains a constant. Soldiers love comics. It's quick, easy, fun reading that gives a soldier a taste of home and lets them escape into an amazing world of comics, even if it's just for a few minutes. So here's the best part of Comics for Courage. Pat and I aren't asking you to donate one cent of your money to Comics for Courage. What we would love is for you to donate your excess comics. You know those ones that are just kind of laying around. Just drop them into a box or a big envelope and mail them over to supportourtroops.org. Their mailing address is Support Our Troops, 13617 North Florida Avenue, Tampa, Florida, 33613. Now, they will make sure that those comics get distributed to random soldier care packages, and as a person who's been on the receiving end of this, I can tell you it will mean a lot. And if you'd rather donate money than give up a single comic book, trust me, we understand about that, you can donate through their website as well. Again, that's supportourtroops.org. Just remember two things, all right? Two things. One, make sure the comics have good, clean content. No nudity or adults-only comics, please. Those are the rules for any military member receiving goods downrange. Okay, and number two, this is the fun one. Please take a picture of you with your donation stack and post it on Twitter or Facebook at Longbox Crusade or email it to contact at longboxcrusade.com. We'd love to give you an on-air shout-out and post your pic on the longboxcrusade.com website. In summary, 
Pat and I over at Longbox Crusade Podcast would greatly appreciate you taking this small action to make a difference in the life of someone who is far from home defending our freedoms. Thank you for supporting the Comics for Courage initiative. That website, again, is supportourtroops.org. Please check it out. Throw them some comics. Make some soldiers happy. We appreciate it. Thanks again. And we're back to talk about more of the comics I read during May and to talk to some of the people who sent them in. All the way from Canada, Sir Rob Lance of the Comic Connection Store in Oakville, Ontario, who has faithfully and regularly sent comics to me, including some Western books like Kid Colt Outlaw, 117 and 158, and Rawhide Kid, 52. Uh, These tended to have three or four stories each in the five to seven page range. A few closer to full-length stories, more like 17 pages, but those were the exceptions. And these weren't all great but they were all varying degrees of good to really good. I think I preferred Kid Colt more. He seemed to have a good range of reasonable stories, my favorite being one that involved a courthouse and a judge, as often we see frontier justice being the lone man and his gun, and seeing actual traditional justice being, you know, at least being attempted. (laughs) That was a nice change of pace for a Western comic story. Avengers, 119 and 164 from the mid-70s. These all had bits of good interactions with the characters and the ongoing soap opera stuff, but reading this without a whole lot of context, those bits weren't as compelling as they would have been if I had been reading them in the mid-70s. But the action stuff, that still holds up even as one-offs. Even going up against the collector, in 119, because he's not the most compelling villain ever. In 164, with Nefaria, excuse me, apologize, Count Nefaria, putting a team together, that was a legitimately fun read. And Fantastic 490 and 176. The earliest of these was by Stan and Jack, an Impossible Man story that also featured Stan and Jack? and the rest of the Marvel team as characters. There was a lot of humor in that one, visual gags and other funny bits. I thoroughly enjoyed it. In Green Lantern 185, where Jon Stewart gives his origin, and we also get a pretty good GL core story from Kurt Busiak, and you really see some sparks of his talent, his ability to tell interesting, compelling, one-off stories. And Iron Man 154, Not a bad story about Iron Man and Namor. And are you ready? They have a misunderstanding that leads to consequences of a fisticuffs nature, if I wasn't clear. Justice League of America 55, a solid Bronze Age DC story. And some kids' books, such as The Fox and the Crow 84, Richie Rich Prophets 11 and 25. Dennis the Menace, Big Bonus Series, 178 and 190, Beetle Bailey, 193. Beetle Bailey, you are no sad sack. High and Lois, number 10, and Gold Key Spotlight, 11. Do want to point out here that Rob was obviously one of the people I would have liked to have chatted with for this episode, but just as I was getting this organized, he was getting swamped 
at work with his store getting ready to reopen after the corona-based hiatus. I did want to shout out specifically to his generous and hefty contributions to my comics readings over the years and thus to this program. And from Paul Spatero, for a Back to the Bins recording, over on the Two True Freaks Network, I read through some homework books. The Lethal Foes of Spider-Man number one, and The New Adventures of Speed Racer number one from Now Comics, both from 1993. And I liked Paul's selection so much that days after recording, I finished up that many reading The Lethal Foes of Spider-Man 2 through 4, and I'm glad that I did. And from Sir Iowa's Joe, longtime provider of a nice quantity of quality books, I read the start of a brand new series from Titan Comics, Adler 1 and 2, focusing on The Woman from the Sherlock Holmes legendarium, Irene Adler, who in this series is basically Holmes, demonstrating similar observational and detective skills. Other Holmesian side characters show up, in addition to historical characters of the Victorian era. But a good story about secret papers that have to be delivered to keep Europe out of war? It's a Holmesian type of story as well, and I look forward to following up with more issues from this series. And the start of a 1999 black-and-white series, Forever Amber, number one. In the future, everyone works for one of the big companies who take care of all of your needs as long as you never leave the company's employ. Amber 12 is employed by one of these companies as a tracker and PI whose current assignment is to find a scientist who seems to have left the corporation. And as she digs into this case, things get strange and dangerous. Now, I like PI stories, and I like future stories, and this one really did work for me in terms of setting up an interesting world, an interesting character, and an interesting uh, mystery. The series only ran four issues total, and I'm pretty sure this is the first one I've ever seen. And like I said... The series is off to a good start. And he also sent another black and white book, Pigtail Number 1 from Image, from 2005. Strange book, laying some groundwork, but I really can't tell where it's going to go from here. And Avengers 6 from the Heroes Return era. And Justice League 225, where the team goes up against someone called Hellraiser. There's a Z in there for some reason and a trade of a digital first series from DC. This is another one based on a line of statues, similar to Bombshells, a series I really enjoyed the first three or four trades of. Anyway, this one is Anacama Girls 5 through 8. Specifically, this is the Earth in Crisis storyline. These statues, unless the character designs were all reimaginings of DC characters, regardless of gender, as females, and then drawn in an anime or manga style in terms of body, eyes, uh, outfit. And there are a ton of characters in here. Wonder Woman, Alana Strange, Green Lanterns, Batgirl, Robin, Hawkgirl, Mira, Power Girl. The list goes on. And the bad guys, sorry, the bad gals, include Sinestra, 
and Mistress Darkside. My favorite couple of pages were a bit in which Raven consistently frustrates her dad, the demon Trigon, for her life choices and also because she never visits or calls. Hilarious, because maybe I could identify with that. And in his last care package, I was Joe sent a bunch of Archie digests, and I read a couple of them, Jughead's Double Digest 160 and Betty and Veronica Digest 110. Like I've said many times before, I like that these contain stories from so many different eras, so you get cool glimpses into the histories of the featured characters. Favorite story in these was probably Jughead and Chuck as sheriff and deputy of a small western town. And all the way from the central time zone, here he is, it's Sir Iowa's Joe. And what a time zone it is. It seems like I'm the one who's always difficult when it's time to podcast. (laughs) So I hear I'm going to get grilled a little bit today on uh, how I do things. Is that right? The the last uh, last, uh, care package did have some interesting stuff in there. Okay. Uh, Forever Amber, Adler, Pigtail. Do you have any thoughts or stories or uh, recollections about any of those? Forever and Amber, or, or was it Forever Amber? Forever For, Amber. Yeah. I, it just wasn't something that I'd read once, and I'm like, I'm never going to look at this again. Exactly. You know, black and white detective future story from 25 years ago. What are you going to do with it now? Yeah. I mean, it was okay. For me, that kind of stuff, Alan, a lot of times, like, am I going to keep going or am I done? Typically, if I'm done, I don't usually feel a great need to hang on to it because it does become a financial decision eventually. Like, some companies, you know, it's a lot cheaper to buy the singles like IDW because they actually upcharge from the price of their their trades. Because you may spend oh, right, uh, $16 right. on uh, four issues, but $20 on a four issue trade. So those I might like, OK, I'll just stick with it and I'll, I'll finish it out. And somebody else like Boom, where you have a lot of $15, $17 trades for five, six issues, you might like, eh, I'll come to it later or it'll be something I get from the library or what have you. Because you, you do send some pretty recent books or new books. Is that what that is, a matter of, I mean, do you try a lot of new series? And then either if it doesn't work for you, you get rid of the issues, or if it works for you, really good. <laughs> and, and it might be trade-worthy. Exactly. And it, it does work that way with me. Um, and I have a collector's mentality, but it, but it doesn't rule me. That's a nice approach. I want to collect the stories more than I want to collect the issues. I like that too. Yeah. For example, I've been uh, fighting, trying to put together the uh, X-Men essentials for forever. And I finally gave up the ghost on getting a volume one after I, for the third time bought a volume two accidentally. I said, you know what? I'm going to get the stories. So I got the Epic collection And those are a little bit shorter than the essentials. So I'm like, what's the most economically (laughs) feasible way to fill in that gap of those, I think, eight or nine issues to get from volume one to volume two? So I I went and got the classic X-Men series for the the reprints because I care more about having the stories. That's funny, right? No, that makes that makes perfect sense. Yeah, because if I want to be able to read like a long run, I'd like for it to be available 
Um, you might have to do it off a couple different bookshelves. And a- uh, my buddy Christian, he always he always uh, talks about what does somebody's bookcase look like? Does it look like they just shopped at Amazon, or does it look like it's been put together over the years? <laughs> That's nice. And I, I have one of those uh, Frankenstein shelves where you know I'll have like fifty two in the nice pretty volume for volume one, and then like the beat up three and four to finish off the set. You know. My wife absolutely hates the old essentials for years. I don't know how many like ones that I would give an eye tooth for now. I didn't get because she's like, ugh, that spines off (laughs) because she was used to the black spines, right? Like the modern ones. Well, what was modern, you know, seven years ago (laughs) and she hated those. So, I mean, I put back a Spidey number one. I've put back a surfer number one. I think I've put back a Howard the Duck, which, like I say, you can't even find those now because Kristen's like, oh, that looks horrible. Do you know why you do that, Joe? Because you're a good husband. That's why you do that. That's something she was always super supportive with is uh, the trades because she likes how they look on the shelf. So There you go. Uh, you imply that there might be a story behind Pigtail? Because I... this is one of the strangest things I've ever read. <laughs> so I, I get on these rabbit holes, and then sometimes by the time – Something I've ordered shows up. I'm not interested anymore. So I was on a, I was on a real kick one day, and they had all these dollar books uh, on mycomicshop.com, and I was like, well, I'm gonna try as many image number ones that are a dollar. It gets here, and I have good intentions, but then at some point I start looking at my boxes, and they feel like they're growing and growing. My to read boxes, <laughs> and and then that's when I go, am I really gonna read Pigtail number one? That's one of those things I'm kind of ashamed of. I go, no, I'm probably not. So I have two options then. But I know someone who will. Yeah, I I say, do I give it to Alan? Bam wasn't open because a a lot of times that was an option. If there was something I had my eyeball on at the the bookstore, I might trade it in. Sometimes you get some books because Joe's gone down a rabbit hole. And (laughs) and then I realize my platter is too full. And I just if it's a cheap one, especially like that, I just toss it to the side. Is is that one of your main sources, Books a Million or Half Price Books? I think from your Twitter feed, I see you hitting a f- couple of places like that every now and then. If I do Half Price Books, it's it was like a six, every six months or so we would go, um, whether it was hitting one in Chicago or uh, closer to where, where Kyle lives, uh, there's a Half Price. I do a lot of BAM uh, I used to work there, so I used to ha- be able to jump in uh, like on a shift and be like, okay, what if somebody traded in? And I get first dibs. The big find I found there was uh, Grim Fairy Tales number one and number two, which are expensive books uh, I found for a buck. Uh, yeah. Is that where the Archie Digests come from? Uh, some of those have just been sitting around taking up room. Uh, <laughs> and some of them are, I think, from disc replay. So I'm going to uh, say, when you're putting a a box together. So there's usually about a good, you know, three quarters of an inch that you have to fill. Right. And uh, digests of any type perfectly fit in there. The other thing is I'm just getting older and I don't like looking at them as much anymore because they're tough on my eyes. Um, That's what I was going to say. There's kind of an expiration date on them. mm -hmm. Not that the content is dated, but my ability to read them has an expiration date. At least the Archie digests, they tend to not have as many word balloons and words Right. Page. So they are a little bit easier to read than a superhero. And I can certainly imagine some superhero books, you know, shrunk down to 60% size trying to read those would be, for us, impossible. <laughs> 
So another thing I'll say, so we've, we've said like abandoned series. That's one way a, a lot of times you'll uh, get uh, stuff from me. Uh, another way is sometimes just something that'll happen like it'll happen this week is I didn't realize I had ordered an issue from my comic shop before it had closed down and I ended up doubly ordering it. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so that's another way. Sometimes you might get something weird in your box. So you're like, why did you just send me Dungeons and Dragons number three? <laughs> It might be because I accidentally ordered it two, yeah. luckily not three times. So. so giving books away and trading them in, is there any mm-hmm. other process for getting rid of books? Or Well, there is the kiddos. If it's at a time where they're interested and it's something appropriate, it could very well end up with them. Uh, funnily enough, that is a backwards work, too. That it may have been something that I ordered for uh, them, mm, like the True Believer right. comics. And then I get this and I go, uh-uh, no. <laughs> i like, whoa, Marvel, this is not all ages. Thank you very much. Took that and put it in a box and said, this is going to go to a friend because my kid can't have this book. And I'm also one of those people, like, if I abandon a series... And because the way pre-ordering works, you know, some yeah. stuff's ordered yeah, three, that lag three months out. And you have long decided you're not interested. And then, it, they all, might, then they all show up. That could happen. And you're like, I don't want this anymore. Or it could be you've read the first two and you don't like them. And say, I sent them in a care package to, say, Kirk. So then three and four will show up. And you know what? You're in the rotation and you usually will take whatever. So I'm like, OK, it's going in the, the Allen box. Oh, so that, that, that kind of thing can happen is. too. The show is I'll take whatever, but but, yeah. <laughs> but but you do bring up the situation that we refer to as the Iowa's Joe move, and we reference <laughs> right. it here. But that is sending the issue one, and then I have to go because I liked it so much because it's not junk. Right. I like right, like the the one I always think of is the Greg Rucka Black Magic. Right, uh, exactly. It was one of the first ones I think yep. I sent you down the rabbit yep. hole. Department H, yep. I think. Yeah, you probably yep. sent me. I've, I've enjoyed that. They mentioned that Ghosted in L.A. series. All these ones that, you know, I'm sure I get them for free, but then I have to take my time getting the trade from the library. I have to use a hoopla borrow. I mean, come on. Be considerate, okay? <laughs> well, if it makes you feel better, I've been one of those people sometimes if I get one that I like enough and it's one that's what we like to call well-loved, um, <laughs> i.e. half the cover's gone, yep. and it's one I really, really like, I have been known to upgrade. And yep, so sometimes right. free books make me spend money, too. So if that makes you feel any better. Don't you hate that? I know there's Don't been you a, hate that? You might never have read that issue of, say, uh, Sergeant Rock, but somebody sent that to you, and you're like, man, that's a really good right. one. I want a, yep. n- a little bit nicer copy. And so right. I've, I've, right. I've done the upgrade before from free books. Well, the only thing I can say, and I hope you don't take this the wrong way, was the, one of the saddest moments of my life was I put together what I thought was the greatest care package in the world. Huge run of Zot, which is one of my favorite series of all time. Babylon 5, Squadron Supreme. And it had some of the Judas contract, you know, stuff I had had from when I was a kid. I was gunning for a book of the month and I was like, I got some contenders. <laughs> Zot, you're like, well, I've got the trade. And I'm like, okay, well, just make sure they get a good home. Because I, I yep. cared about that Zot set. Because, like I say, it was a decent lengthy run of them. The Babylon 5, that was a bummer because I had specifically bought those Already to up. read and then yeah. give to you. 
And then I found out you had already had them. I'm like, okay, that's fine. But the heartbreaker of the deal was when you read the Squadron Supreme and they didn't click with you. That broke me. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, you know, that's okay. At this point, Maybe a reread you will appreciate them more. I appreciate them more at this point, I think. Uh, uh, did you listen to Greg's show I that did. they did covering I did. it? Helped. Yeah, I they did a helped. great job yeah. with that. that. I think I needed the deep dive. So I had the trade, so I bought those because they're sitting in a, a twofer box. I'm like, I can't. These can't just go to some yeah. bum. They got to go to somebody important, right? <laughs> and and you, oh, and specifically, one last thing, uh-oh, I guess. Oh, Joe is on a roll now. Sometimes stuff is bought specifically for you. Now at this point, just because of our arch nemeses <laughs> over on uh, <laughs> reading with Tom and Stella, we have to represent Thomas Hardy. I'm sorry. <laughs> So if I see a good price on a Thomas Hardy book, that's going in your box. Absolutely. Beautiful. It is great to talk to you again, Joe. And uh, too. appreciate all your contributions to the to the reading journal and just uh, you're participating in the comic book circle of life. And from Kirk Spencer, a.k.a. Big Five Army, I read The Grackle, number three. A black-and-white P.I. story written by Mike Barron. From Acclaim Comics from 1997. Pretty good story. And what was nice about this was that even though this was issue three, I never got the idea that I was jumping into the middle of a story. I was brought in right from the start, right from the first panel of the first page, and I didn't feel lost. And that really helps. And I really did enjoy that issue. And from Hoopla. And there are more here than usual. Because Hoopla has allowed for more borrows during these strange quarantine times. And so there are more here in this section than usual. Including Moon Knight 1 through 17 from the 2014 run. The first six of these are written by Warren Ellis, and then Brian Wood takes over for the next trade, and then Cullen Bunn wraps it up. And despite those changes and the changes of artist teams, there is an amazingly consistent tone and look to the series. Declan Shelby laid out a very strong visual template in those first handful of issues, including having some pages with a lot of panels. Lots of silent panels in the book, and a decent number of silent pages. And that vibe, that uh, design, that maintained throughout the series. In terms of plot, we start out with Moon Knight returning to life, working with the police in New York to bring bad guys to justice. Pretty standard superhero stuff, albeit with a character who's not completely mentally stable. We then move into an international political intrigue story with an assassination attempt at the UN, and then we wrap up with a series of issues pretty much on the spiritual plane with a battle with the god Kanshu, Moon Knight's patron. All in all, a good series, and like I said, I was impressed by how consistent the series was from start to finish. I like Moon Knight, but I like the multiple identities more than multiple personalities, if you catch what I'm saying there. 
and I get less interested the more insane Mark Spector becomes, which means there have been some runs of Moon Knight that I haven't liked much. But this one, I'd say it's one of the good ones. Enjoyed the read. And I read a DC OGN for the young adult market, Diana, Princess of the Amazons. This one points out the fact that Diana, being the only baby born in thousands of years, gave her tons of attention and pampering from her many aunties on the island. But she didn't have anyone her own age to play with. And to fill that gap, Diana creates out of clay an imaginary friend who turns out to be neither imaginary nor particularly friendly. A fun, good read with some real drama, some real stakes, and some real character bits. Very impressed. I also read Garfield 1 through 4, and then 25 through 28, and I know what you're thinking. By skipping 20 issues in between, how could I possibly keep up with the intricate Garfield plot points and continuity? Okay, there's not really a lot of Garfield continuity, and these were the only two trades available as Hoopla bonus borrows, so they're the two I read. Okay? Mark Evanier wrote these, and you really see his past, his history, as the writer of Gru. He's able to tell two funny stories per issue, and for the most part, they are pretty funny. We get some standard Garfield tropes, but since we have more than three panels per joke, you know, compared to the comic strips, the world of Garfield is able to expand to fill 11 pages at a time and tell some pretty good and pretty funny stories. I didn't know what to expect, but not too bad. And I read some more Star Trek from IDW, Star Trek Year 5, 1 through 6, which begins the end of the first five-year mission, which will end with the team heading home. And Captain Kirk isn't sure he wants to head home back to Earth for fear that they won't let him leave again, and they'll do something terrible, like make him an admiral. This series of issues takes the crew into contact with the Tholians and also lands them back on the Chicago gangland planet. We also get some Carol and David Marcus conversation. That was a nice touch. All in all, some pretty enjoyable issues, and the real hero of the piece was Lieutenant Uhura, although the trade does not wrap up that main storyline with the Tholians. And as I always have to discuss, anytime we talk about a licensed property, the likenesses were pretty solid. And also, like I said, there was a lot of good stuff in the Hoopla bonus area, including Spider-Man Miles Morales 1-11, through Really enjoyed these, as you had Miles trying to follow in Peter's footsteps, although they both acknowledge that Miles' costume is way better. And Black Cat is the new Kingpin, albeit a much more slender version. And she has hired Hammerhead to find out what he can about this new Spider-Person. And their shield bits, uh, Captain America, Power Man, Jessica Jones, they all show up. And since it's Bendis, the character dialogue with Genki and with Miles' family is strong, along with his moments with Kamala Khan and the young Nova. That's the core to the issues. And overall, the issues are pretty good. 
And I read Neil Gaiman and John Romita Jr., their take on the classic Kirby creation in The Eternals 1 through 7 from 2006. The Eternals are awakening, returning to their rightful place, protecting humanity. But the sleeping celestial is also awakening. And that is where the drama begins, for the fate of Earth is at stake. They bring in the Unimind, and it gets a little cosmic from there. But you also have some Avengers who appear for big battles, so it does bring in the Marvel Universe at least just enough. Iron Man is pretty adamant about the Civil War stuff, telling the Eternals that they have to register. They basically ignore him, all that stuff being so far beneath their notice. I like Tony, but him getting put in his place is always entertaining. It's a big, dramatic, cosmic story, the kind of story Jack Kirby was good at envisioning, and the kind of story that Gaiman tells pretty well, too. And Romita does a nice job presenting a modern 2000s-era version of a Kirby world and Kirby designs and Kirby characters. Interesting read. And a crazy and wild and very violent series, Absolute Carnage, 1 through 5, from last year. I guess the title does kind of give away that it's going to be pretty violent, huh? Luke Giaconetti did warn me that it might be a bit tough on me, not knowing the continuity and the storyline, and that was certainly true. But it was kinetic, it was energetic, and it was certainly not boring, and that is not a bad thing. And continuing one of those series that we talked about with Sir Iowa's Joe, that he got me into by sending the first issue or two, which is a total Sir Iowa's Joe move. I read Ghosted in L.A. 5-9. through We have a new ghost residing at the mansion, a female rock star who our human lead character Daphne was a big fan of, still is a big fan of. So life at the mansion has gotten a bit more complicated, while Daphne's life outside the mansion is getting more complicated as well. An old friend is visiting her at college, and some of her classes aren't going all that well, so she's starting to wonder why she felt drawn to the mansion in the first place. Is she similar to the ghosts in some way? They can't seem to escape the place either. And things at the mansion are getting strange as well, and Daphne becomes part of a ritual that doesn't quite work. Or at least doesn't seem to work, I guess time will tell. There's a lot of stuff going on in this series, more than those first couple of issues would maybe lead you to believe. It, 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 there's a bit of a slow build, a slow burn to it. But I've enjoyed most of this, and I look forward to keeping up with the title as the year rolls on. And finally, I read an OGN adaptation of the first Ian Fleming James Bond novel, Casino Royale. This is over 170 pages, which gives it plenty of room to breathe. It's based on the novel, not any of the adaptations of it. So Bond and Vesper and Felix don't look like any of their various portrayals. But that totally works for this. It was nice reading it as an OGN, not a collection of previously published issues, because you didn't have the forced cliffhanger every 20 or 22 pages. It was able to flow with the rhythm and pace of a novel. There were sections, 
It was divided into chapters, if you will. But those sections, those chapters were short or as long as they needed to be, given what was required of the story. So I was not sure what to expect from this, but I enjoyed it quite a bit. They do have the second novelization available as well, and I imagine I'll be getting to that pretty soon. And here, towards the end of the episode, I wanted to talk with a few guys who have moved intentionally into the downsizing phase of their comic book hobby. And first we have Mr. Uncollecting himself. It's Tom Paneris. Hi. And you know him. You love him. You hear his feedback on many of these episodes. It's Podcasting's Michael Bailey. Yeah, I uh, I wish I was as organized as Tom is to uh, actually have have uh, chronicled my fall. Uh, basically, Tom has like a blog and a podcast. Mm. I had random stories over fifteen different shows. It, That's it, how I pieced it together. Mine is the deathmate uh, <laughs> version of this. So mine is a combination of here's the stuff that I've been reading and watching, reviewed, and whether or not I'm going to keep it and some reflection on some crap that it's, I should really tell my therapist, but, you know, I read my teenage <laughs> journal, so here's all my angst. <laughs> so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak for Tom here. Thank you very much yes. for having us. Glad yeah, have, yeah. Glad to have it's, always, it's always good to be on your show. Let me, uh, uh, let me start with you, Mike, then you, you, you can answer the same question, Tom. But, okay. you know, was there a specific breaking point mike or uh, one particular moment when you just decided that to stop growing the collection and then maybe separately actually, start shrinking it you know what sort of what happened to get you to that point uh, are you asking for my moment of clarity <laughs> like when did i reach rock bottom? <laughs> exactly uh, it's really funny because I, I think of my my history as a comic book collector and how through most of my teens and 20s and even into my 30s, I just had this dream of having a giant collection. And, and one of my goals was to get every DC comic from Crisis on Infinite Earths and eventually became to like Infinite Crisis. Mm-hmm. And this is going to sound weird. Addiction runs in my family. It manifests itself in different ways. It was one of those things where collecting or, or accumulating stuff was in the family. And, and, and I realized that I didn't have a problem in that we couldn't pay our bills and we're getting thrown out of the house. And I'm waking up after a three-day buying spree, you know, covered in comic books. That never happened. But I got to the point where I'm like, I'm just buying to buy because it's a 50-cent bin. So it started with, okay, I got to stop doing that. I got to stop buying an entire run of daredevil just because it's in a 50 cent bin. And then I started doing the math. What is the average human lifespan? How long does it take me to read a comic? Mm -hmm. How many comics do I have? And I was just like, I'm, I'm never going to read all these books. And there was a a financial component to it, but not like a major one, but that money came in handy. Was the stopping buying and the selling was that one decision or was there a, was there a break was, in between there? That was two decisions. So I was still collecting like the Superman books. And at one point I was still collecting back issues of Superman. And then I'm like, no, I'm not even going to do that anymore. It was really a gradual thing mm-hmm. where I went from, okay, I'm going to get rid of all these Marvel books except these books and I'll keep the DCs. 
okay, I'm going to get rid of all the DCs except my Batman and my Flashes and my Green Lanterns. Okay, I'm getting rid of everything except a certain amount of books. At first, I was selling them on eBay. That's like an episode of a podcast in and of itself. The misadventures that went into that. I will Mm. forever hate the guy I sold my new Teen Titans books to because he was just mad that he overpaid. So he was complaining about stuff. Uh, So it, it, it was really kind of funny because I can't say that there's one moment of clarity, but just a gradual sense of letting go. What's your story, Tom? I've, done the thing where I've sold off chunks of my collection before and the reason for that was always a space thing literally turned around and said I gotta I gotta offload some of these comics because I'm just running out of storage space so you know so you know that was we're talking like almost 20 years ago I actually made a decent amount of money because back then like eBay was still not entirely a novelty but it was enough of a novelty where people were still like you could actually get some money for some of these books and then I think uh, back, like maybe about ten years ago, I, I sold up off a bunch too because again I was just running out of space. So this time around in 2018, I had made like a New Year's resolution to like you know clear out my Netflix queue. I wasn't very successful at it. So it came around to the end of 2018, the beginning of 2019, and I was I kind of made the same resolution, but I was like, you know what, I have gone on these like buying sprees at conventions or at the comic store because the comic store if you were if you had a box a pull box of new issues every back issue for dc and marvel was 50 cents they had a bunch of quarter books as well and i, I was grabbing stuff at random like i i started to amass this that's very small problem. collection that's the yeah. problem i'd be, be kind of like walking up and down the aisle you know looking for something in the dc boxes you know and and i find something oh yeah this is something i need and then i'd just be walking back and i'd kind of glance over at the marvel box and there's a marvel fanfare issue that looks really interesting or something that like and then they they started having this event called short box tober where you pay 25 bucks and you can fill a short box which is the Tony Montana plan of it's just like all the comics. I, I had counted them out before January 2019. I had 738 comics that I had bought and not read. And, and these were back issues because I was getting new comics and I was buying them. And selling off runs of newer stuff was actually easier for me because if, and Mike, you've talked about this before, where you amass like five or six months worth of a run. And you don't read it, and then you go ahead and read it, and you're like, at the end of it, you're like, that was good, but do I really need to keep buying this if I'm just going to let them pile up? Wonder Woman was like that after Rebirth. Once Rucka left the book, I was like, all right, I think I'm done, and I, I sold it off. But yeah, Waiting six months to read the run, you might as well yeah. get Marvel and Universe or get the trade yeah. at the library. Mm-hmm. Or... So that's what I started to do with a couple of titles, but I, I kept up some new ones. I, I, I found that my pull list actually tends to be more miniseries than anything else or limited series. It's just I don't think I'm doing that on purpose. I think it's just this is what interests me. So I, I looked at all the books and I took all those unread books and I just put them in a long box and I just kind of take them out every once in a while and I read through them. But I also cataloged um, books I had read, movies that I had not watched yet. Physical copies that I owned were saved to watch lists on Amazon Prime, Netflix or like HBO Go. And I am one of the last surviving Netflix DVD subscribers. <laughs> And I still had the queue. And then there was also there's also a number, and I, and I catalog this month per month of pod unlistened to podcast episodes. Where at the beginning of January 2019, I had 156 episodes of various shows that I had not listened to, and I listened to a lot of podcasts 
every week and every day. And these things just kind of pile up. So I was like, all right, I'm going to do this project. I'm going to work through all this. And I'm like, hey, I'm going to turn it into a writing project. So I called it The Uncollecting, and I've been doing this for almost about a year, almost a year and a half or so. The comics are the are the biggest progress. I have I am now down to 273 as of the beginning of April. Nice. So you're getting some new comics currently, Tom. Are you Mike? Mm-hmm. Are you Mike? Are you getting? I assume Supermans. No, or, I, oh, I, I, I walked away from Superman. You know, I've heard I, this before. Here's this time the thing, I think it, you might mean it. <laughs> here's the weird thing about me getting rid of as many comics as I did and what I chose to keep and what I chose to get rid of. It was me finally realizing that I didn't need to base my identity on the fact that I buy the Superman books. Right. Hmm. And when I, when I left back in 2010... Uh, just because I was just mad at the world. I, I realized during the break, during that nine-month period where I wasn't buying the Superman titles, that I was mad at something that I didn't really need to be mad at. That it's not psychologically healthy to hate what you're doing that is ostensibly something you do because you enjoy it. But so it why am I doing it? fun to listen to. Yeah. I lie. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm sure, yeah. I, I, I hear from people who like listen to old episodes and they're like, wow, you were angry. And I'm like, oh, a little bit. Um, when I came back, I was just like, okay, I know where the door is at any point. So if I get to this, if I get to the point where I'm like, I'm done, then I can be done. I was almost there in 2015, but then Rebirth happened and I got this nice little two years. Right. Of, yeah, oh, right. you this, did. I love those books too, man. They were really good. So when Bendis came on and I look at it now and I realize that he was systematically dismantling everything that I was loving about it. And when he got rid of the identity, it was like at first I'm like, ah, this is this this isn't so bad. And then I'm like, wait a second. And so I started doing the math and I started looking back and I started thinking about it. I'm like, no, 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 this is it. If they are going to do this, if they are going to do this thing that I so fundamentally disagree with then I'm not supporting them anymore. I'm not going to give them my money because it is not worth it to me to continue with it. And going back to what Tom was talking about, I had like six months of books stacked up. Mm -hmm. So it was really one of those moments that it's like, no, I can leave now. I can leave now and still say I'm a Superman fan. It's like one of those things where the more... I, I accept that real life is happening. The more things that I'm bothered about in comic books don't matter anymore. Tom, when on one of his episodes was talking about getting into Marie Kondo, you know, the does this spark joy? joy? Sometimes you look at something and realize that its significance to you is it taught you that you didn't like it, which is a nice little philosophical thing. I'm sure that woman is very well off right now and it's, i'm still working at staples so. if i credit her then i don't have to credit shag for the concept no th- there's there's finding your joy <laughs> i know and then does it sparking joy both are probably trademarked at this point <laughs> but it's one of those things where i don't have to be in the current game be- for two reasons one it's not for me anymore it hasn't been for me for decades I need to accept this fact. Mm-hmm. And two, it's not like there aren't a hundred million comics I haven't read 
that have been produced over the past 80 years that I can't find something that I'm going to enjoy. My Superman collecting has been on and off over the last 30 years of like I pop in when it looks interesting and then I hit a point where I'm like, okay, you know, and I let it go for a little while. And I think I gave Bendis even shorter time than you. I think I was out of there after six months because I was just kind of like, I had been reading the Lois Lane miniseries and that's almost over, I think, too. So uh, which I was enjoying, but that's because I like Greg Rucka. But the Titans was something I collected for 20 25 years until the new 52 happened you know every good jumping on point is yeah a a good jumping off point and and um the funny thing was this back in back right around the middle of final crisis i actually stopped buying comics for about a year and a half mostly for financial reasons and uh, and then i eventually picked it up so i i had gone back and collected all of the interim issues that i had missed except for one i'm missing one issue and it's driving (laughs) me crazy and i'm i swear one day i will get it but I saw the solicits for Titans, Teen Titans number one with Scott Lobdell, and I think his Brett Booth was doing the art. And I was like, this is not for me, so I'm just going to finish with Titans number, Teen Titans number 100. And then you had you had loaned me some of the Rebirth stuff, or I, I bought it off of you, actually, on eBay. And I have to tell you, I read it, I liked it, but it was... It was like that Dan Fogelberg song where he runs into the, the old lover <laughs> in the first <laughs> You know, but except we didn't drink beer in the car. And that's kind of how that felt. I was like, this is okay, but, you know, I don't think we're ever going to get back together. And 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 so I, I knew that I made the right choice there. But uh, but yeah, it's just and, and I was actually, Mike, I was just listening to your Batman year one episodes. You got into a tangent about Brand New Day and stuff and how there's so many years gone now because this is 10, 12, 15 years that now they're just stories Mm-hmm. As opposed to, this is the event that's going to change Spider-Man, Batman, Superman forever. And um, I wonder sometimes if that makes it more palatable for us to go back and at least read those stories that we hopped off on. Yes. And, and, and sometimes that, time can heal some of those wounds. Mm-hmm. And it brings up the point, uh, another interesting point that I discovered in all of this uh, self-actualization. It's not that... I decided to leave. It's that DC and Marvel made it easier for me to do so. Mm-hmm. So when you keep rebooting and re and revamping, it's like the DC universe is a yo-yo on a string. And that first loop takes a really long time. But by the time you're near the end of it, it's just it like the rotations are, are much faster and that's what it was. It was just like, okay, we're going to do Crisis on Infinite Earths, and then we're going to do Zero Hour, and then we're going to do Infinite Crisis. And with all of these revamps, what happened in the Superman books in 2009 doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. Because we're 15 iterations away from that. So my the question I have for myself, which is more existential than anything else, is... If they hadn't done that, would I have given it all up? Would I have stopped? But as Alan, who I listen to, especially if he's talking about anything to do with business, I listen and and take it to gospel. You know, nothing lasts forever. And right now, Tom is thinking in the cold <laughs> November rain. What, was, that, was I right? Yes. Um, okay. Oh, I broke him too. But 
nothing sustains itself forever. I mean, right now we're watching and, and, and I've been wanting to like sit down with Alan and, and like talk to him for 15 hours on what's going on with the comic industry right now, mm-hmm. uh, because it's one of those Nothing's things where, every, where everybody's freaking out. I'm not trying to be a jerk, but I'm taking a step back and going, guys, this model could not sustain itself forever. <laughs> Cause yeah. that's not how business works. Yeah. And, that's not and how life works. The thing I've noticed is at least um, as I've gone through this, and, and maybe it's because I don't mind getting rid of stuff now, is uh, it creeps up every once in a while, but I don't necessarily have to have the show off desire to show, like, you know, hey, I, now I own this. What's been your uh, process, Tom, for disposing of books? What are some ways that you found? Have you avoided okay. eBay? Um, no, I haven't. There was an episode of Pop Culture Affidavit that I did for this whole concept and and i got this from a uh all places the oprah winfrey show keep sell donate or trash is is it what do i really still want to hold on to it and i've held on to a few books um i'm still holding on to my run of of ostrander's suicide squad because i would like to complete it and then decide what i you know if i reread it um you know i'm i'm holding on to my run of the nom and i'm holding on to my at least the wolfman perez titans with the sell it's like can i get money off of this and i usually do put them up on ebay because i just it the ebay is a pain in the butt but it's the quickest way for me to do it and i'm not looking to make a ton of money over the course of last year and the year before i made enough money to have spending money when we went on vacation last year the donation stuff i've donated to um through like operation gratitude to troops so but yeah keep sell donate or trash and then if it's something i was streaming it's just kind of like skip it, keep it, buy it, you know, like, or whatever. I'm trying not to accumulate anything, but for the most part, it's just like, you know, me just trying to work through this. The same thing with books. Most of the books I just donate to the library. Do either of you do much digital comic reading? Is that moving from physical to something else? Is that, does that scratch the same itch? I started out reading comics because I like to read comics. Uh, somewhere in the middle there, I had a borderline personality disorder where, frankly, I could have built furniture out of my short boxes. Um, uh, yeah, exactly. And now, 30-some-odd years later, I'm just where I just want to read books. There's stuff I want physically. Uh, there are certain collections I want. There are certain trade paperbacks I'd like to have. And those are things I want because they have some kind of tactile meaning for me, going back to the Does This Spark Joy? But more than anything else, I just want to read stories. I just want to read comics. I want to get into the world of whatever universe it is. I want to just do it because it's fun and just for the sake of reading it. And that is where digital really helps me out because I don't have to outlay a lot of money. Yesterday, Marvel just put a bunch of trades up for free. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Some of this I have read, but would like to read in the future. I've never read the Kree Scroll War. Now I don't have to outlay any money for it. So it's a, yep. so on a on a business level, there is absolutely zero uh, risk. All I'm giving up is my time. Mm-hmm. But I just I love digital because it allows me the opportunity to read the stories I want to read, but I don't have to go and pay for expensive back issues, which I know some people on this call just wouldn't do anyways. It just, it just gives me that opportunity to do that. And 
I'm just as happy as when I had 30,000 books. I think that mindset where you move from collector to reader, sometimes that's a subtle shift, but I, I think it makes a big difference. It, it, it takes a lot of pressure off. You know, I've always taken the approach with digital versus um, print in books as uh, what's most convenient and what's cheapest at the moment. Part of that is like I have those in single issues, but now I don't have to pull out, you know, the long box books and they're just sitting on the shelf, um, you know, that, and, and other that, series that, that I have. That makes a huge so. difference too, just the literal physical ease of reading, yeah. whether it's on a device or on a bookshelf. That makes a little yeah. difference then. I think it's in that box in that corner under, even <laughs> yeah. if you know what box it is, you still have yeah. to physically get to it. I feel that those are worth the money because they know they're going to be good. Whereas, you know, I don't even know if I'll like the Kree score war. Um, but it was free. Or like, you could take a chance on it. It was free, yeah. The, the cheapness is, is well is well alive in me. I still have not pulled the trigger on the DC Universe app, but I might. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I'm, I have nothing against digital, especially when it's readily available and, and it's not very expensive. And, and you can still satisfy that itch of, you know, mm-hmm. I've read this. I can check it off the list. Luke Giaconetti and I had a show a couple months ago about 50s Cold War comics. We both talked about the Captain America, 50s Captain America books, which I would have never been able to find physical copies of. So there's that, you know, like I got three of them at, on Comixology. And then there's Comic Book Plus, which is the public domain comic website mm, where you right. can just download a bunch for free. And we found like these World War Three comics and, you know, paranoia comics and stuff like that. So things like that are just like I like having these avenues and taking advantage of like what we have out there. And it's because it's, it's not just the books in your collection. It's all mm-hmm. those books that are readily available inexpensively, if not free. Yes. That we're not going to read them all. But I don't feel like I have to have them all, and exactly. I don't feel like that I have to show off that I have of of what I have. I I find I find that desire sated more easily than back when I was much younger, and I would have gone out of my way to find something on eBay just to say that I had the the idea of divesting myself of my comics uh, and some other things, but mainly comics because that was that was what I was always the most into. Mm-hmm. Comes from realizing we're of a generation that was raised by baby boomers who were raised by children of the depression Yeah, because they were raised by people who came from nothing. And so there was a impetus put on acquiring things. So the children of those people are like, well, we're just supposed to acquire stuff. That's what we're supposed to do. Right. And I remember back in the 90s when it was me and my two best friends, my friend Andy loved movies, my friend Ryan bought CDs, and I bought comics, and we were like stockpiling like (laughs) Armageddon was going to happen tomorrow. Mm -hmm. The current generation doesn't care. Yeah. Having a giant collection, I think, is anathema to some of them because they have been raised in a culture where entertainment is actually what entertainment is supposed to be, which is disposable. Yeah. (laughs) As a person who is not quite staring down the barrel of 50, but is getting there, I can make a decision at this point. I can either double down on 
no, I'm going to have a giant collection. I'm going to have comics and they're going to bury me in these things or they may fall on you and you will end up being buried in them. <laughs> or I can just embrace what's happening and go, I'm good with just having 30 or 40 short boxes. I mean, even that's a lot. And having a, a couple bookcases full of trades. Yeah. And also there's the consideration that I'm going to die one day. And do I really want the people left behind to have to deal with this stuff? There's a difference between accumulating and collecting. We accumulated a lot of comics that we weren't collecting. It was We were collecting in the sense that we were just getting more. But then there's that sort of collecting where it's it's almost like you're curating what you have. You know, so you're holding on to the stuff that you really want to hold on to and you're getting rid of the stuff that you want. Like I think of the, the amount of stuff that I have and trying not to get, <laughs> you know, Amanda and I have talked about the point where Brett's out of the house and like, how long are we going to be here? You know, will we downsize? Sometimes it does creep into my mind. It's like, do I really want to move all this crap? Yeah. I, uh, I can't remember who said this, but I heard someone once describe our hobby as boxes of stapled sets of decaying paper. And to some extent, that's all they are, right? I think this has been a valuable therapy session, gentlemen, but uh, <laughs> our, our session is about over. I hope this has been uh-huh. cathartic for both of you. No, it's been fun. It's been a no, lot of fun. Yeah, I was, I love talking about this stuff. So Beautiful. Well, thank you both for your insights and for your experiences. It is always good to chat with you guys. Same here. Uh, yes, sir. You take it easy. And, and please keep telling us what you're reading because this is a, a joy. It's, <laughs> Yeah. The month, man. I, I, I get ready to like do something around the house and this is the perfect soundtrack to it. <laughs> Thank you. Before I wrap up this celebration, I did want to mention some of the other options that I use to dispose of comics, aside from the comic book circle of life, in addition to sending them to my lovely internet friends, and in addition to some of the options uh, you've heard people talk about uh, during the episode. All of the information for these entities can be found in the show notes and blog posts for the episode, including links to mailing addresses. You heard a promo already for Comics for Courage, which is an initiative that Pat Sampson and Jared Albrecht developed that runs through the organization Support Our Troops. The information for that effort is in that promo. Good friend of the network, Manuel Carmona, founded the nonprofit Comics for Christmas a number of years ago, via which he and his wife give away comics to kids during community Christmas events. I believe they accept monetary donations to aid them in making their purchases, and they certainly do accept contributions of kid-appropriate comic books. And then a charity was brought to my attention by Sir Rob Lance a few years back, the Comic Corps of Canada, whose motto is Helping Canada's Smallest Heroes. What this organization does is deliver comics to very sick patients in hospitals and children's hospitals in costume. So it is cosplayers who deliver the comics. And judging from the pictures on the Facebook page, the kids really enjoy it. It's just another wonderful organization doing good things with and through comic books. 
There are, of course, plenty of ways of disposing of your comics, but next time you're in that mode, at least consider one of those as an option. And I did, of course, want to thank all the kind folk who appeared on this episode. Podcasting's Michael Bailey of the Fortress of Baileytude, Derek William Crabb of the Fanholes Podcast, Sir Iowa's Joe of the DC Everything Else Show, Sir Luke Giaconetti of Earth Destruction Directive, Tom Panneris of Required Reading, and Clinton Robison of Coffee and Comics, and M from Dorkness to Light and Shortbox Showcase. Thank you all. And of course, those guests are representative, sort of standing in for all of the folk who have sent comics in over the years, and I thank all of them. And of course, anyone who sent in comics over the years are just a small subset of folks who have listened to the show over the years, and those are the most important people. Thank you all for listening. That is the only gift you need to give me and M, and we both appreciate all of your support through the years. This show literally started as a three-episode summer miniseries back in 2015. And thanks to your feedback and downloads, and, to be honest, me really enjoying this, here we are with no plans to stop. Next month, we'll be back to normal, a much shorter episode. No guests, and only four Saturdays in the month. I have really no idea what I'm going to be reading, other than certainly some more books provided by the people I've mentioned and spoken to in this episode, as well as other kind and generous folk. And whatever I do end up reading, I'll be here to talk about the books I read in June, and that episode ought to be out sometime in early July. Feel free to let me know what you think of this episode, what you think of any of these books that I mentioned, especially if you've read any of them. You can send that feedback via email, relativelygeeky at gmail.com, or as a comment on the Facebook and blog post for this episode, the blog is at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com. You can follow the network on Twitter at relatively underscore geek. And of course, we have our own page on Facebook as well. Come join us. All are welcome. Thanks for listening, and keep the pages turning. <laughs>